0: Good morning, CHD. Um, I am back for another monthly chat with James Corbett regarding what's going on at the WHO. And um, this month, I think we have some pretty good news and glad to um, tell it to you. Tomorrow, because this is being uh, filmed about four days before it will be shown. So tomorrow, Wednesday, the 13th of December, there will be a hearing. So this will be the first hearing that Congress has conducted about the WHO and uh, about these documents. And we don't know what's going to be in it. So you will know by the time this thing airs, but we've we've got some suggestions for Congress, what they might want to talk about and ask questions about. The first uh, thing is that I went to Europe um, initially, I was supposed to speak at the parliaments of Croatia and of Romania, in events that were organized by uh, first by the International COVID Summit Number Four in uh, Romania, and by a party, the populist party in Romania, which um, invited us and treated us very, very well, and and we had a wonderful two-day event there. And then later, about 10 days later, the Croatian Parliament, where we had another very good event, lots of media, and um, some overlapping people presented and some others. And um, members of the parliaments of both countries were very interested to find out what was going on at the WHO and were concerned. Um, Some of the Romanians were interested in uh, in challenging the WHO and were wondering about... um, which way to go about doing that because there's several ways. So that happened but then in between I went to Estonia, Belgium and Italy and met with parliamentarians in Estonia and in Italy who were also extremely interested in learning more of the details. I was in both countries with attorney Philip Kruse who is a Swiss attorney who has been on this uh, you know for the last couple of years. And we tag teamed talking about the medical, the political, the legal issues, and Philippe assisted members of uh, some of the parliaments in writing letters to the WHO. And so, uh, anyway, um, congruent with our visits and following them, there were a number of, uh, which, which by the way, was right before this deadline for countries to officially reject the amendments that had we thought we thought had been passed by the World Health Assembly in May of 2022 and the deadline was you had 18 months to reject according to the IHR rules however uh, Philippe actually looked read or watched the video of the meeting where this vote supposedly took place and noticed that it wasn't really the World Health Assembly voting there was no vote it was actually a subcommittee committee A and there was a consensus procedure where basically the person leading the meeting said look if there's no problems you know it goes through and then clapped his hands yay it went through and so nobody ever voted now that is not within the WHO constitution or the IHR regulations so what happened it looks like maybe there was a fraud uh that took place, and Philippe noticed this, and 12 members of the European Parliament wrote to the WHO on November 28th and said, please, within 48 hours, show us the evidence that there was actually a vote of the full World Health Assembly, which is the uh, 194 nations that are party to the WHO. And no evidence was forthcoming. The 48 hours. And so then these 12 parliamentarians wrote back to the WHO and said, you know what? We declare your amendments from May of 2022 null and void. So uh, that's the first, um, or that's one of the headaches that the WHO is now going to have to deal with. Meantime, after Philippe and I met met with uh, about half a dozen Estonian parliamentarians, um, 11 of them wrote to the who and said hey we don't think your procedures are proper either and they said look our whole parliament has to according to our constitution the whole parliament has to decide uh, on going forward with these negotiations and our parliament never did we had a subcommittee approve it um but we don't think it, it happened constitutionally for us and um this also gave the WHO heartburn, apparently, because um, shortly thereafter, the chairman of that particular committee wrote to the WHO and said, oh, no, no, we we did everything right. You know, don't worry about this, you know, forget about it. So um, clearly that wouldn't have, she wouldn't have written that letter if there wasn't a problem. So there's a, pro- there's another constitutional problem. Um, then the. Uh, a member of the parliament of Holland wrote a similar letter to the WHO saying, we think our parliament needed to approve and it didn't. And then there were, there were a flurry of letters from a parliamentarian in or several in Mexico, in Philippines, um, in Germany, challenging the WHO on some of these procedural issues. Um, In addition, what had happened was there, there were recent elections and a very new prime minister in New Zealand and in Slovakia, and both of them announced that they weren't going to go along with any WHO usurpation of of sovereignty. Now they didn't write a letter; they announced this in different. The uh, Slovakian prime minister announced it in a speech, and the New Zealand they have a. Three parties that are in a coalition to rule New Zealand at the moment. So they've they've thrown out, not only is Jacinda Ardern, you know, thrown across the Pacific to Harvard where um, all rotting fish uh, <laughs> go to die, um, but even the person who followed her in her party, they're out and now they've got a, the opposite parties are in power in New Zealand. So all of this is a reflection of a populist wave happening around the world, and there are lots of elections coming up um, during the first six months of 2024, and everyone is expecting a populist, this populist wave to continue. Uh, So anyway, the New Zealanders wrote a sort of a policy brief, an 11-page policy brief, and on page 10 they said, you know, by December 1st, you know, we're not going to go along with the WHO now. I've talked to my uh, colleagues, my contacts in New Zealand, and nobody's aware that anything has happened since then. So it's it's now 12 days later, but we don't know what New Zealand is going to do, if anything. However, you know, it was a shot across the bow. We're not going along. And so um, there, meantime, a lot of lawyers have been, So it was very good that we had this deadline of November 30th to reject the May 2022 amendments because it focused everybody's minds. So a lot of lawyers from different countries came up with all sorts of interesting arguments about how this whole WHO process may not be legal.
1: Let me underline The real point of what you're saying here, which I think is extremely important to understand, is that the uh, essentially the WHO process that is going on right now, both with regards to the International Health Regulation Amendments and the treaty so-called, is a Potemkin village. And it's only as real as it appears to be, unless you actually look behind it and see, oh, wait, there's nothing propping this up. This is, this is just a facade. And that is being exposed. Every time anyone actually questions the actual, what is the actual legal authority for this? They find out, oh my God, oh, there is none. Um, so I, I, I honestly, truly believe that the entire the entire facade could be collapsed if enough public attention was simply brought to bear on this issue and what's really happening. But let me, let, let me summarize and underline what you're talking about there. There's a, a handy-dandy summary that the World Council for Health put out on November 30th. So this isn't the latest, latest information, but they have a good summary of various country positions and what's, what's happening, in which they include that um, letter from the 11 members of parliament um, rejecting the IHR amendments because, hey, that's not part of the parliamentary process here in Estonia. Um, they do link to the New Zealand... Um, New coalition government reserving against proposed amendments to IHR. And I would suggest people actually go to health.govt.nz for amending the international health regulations where they posted up their process and what's happening and why they're doing this. I have more to say on that in a second. Uh, they talk about Slovakia's prime minister, as you mentioned, announcing the government will not support strengthening the WHO. There's a comprehensive bill by a congressman in the Philippines that's gaining traction and public support. Two South African parliamentarians have championed a WHO withdrawal b- withdrawal bill. There's a parliamentarian in the Netherlands who filed a letter making a reservation due to lack of due process, as you were mentioning there. Um, uh, 11 EU parliamentarians are formally challenging procedural failures the IHR amendments. Uh, Bill H.R. 79 to defund and exit the WHO was introduced by U.S. Congressman Andy Biggs. Uh, parliamentarians continue advocating to reject IHR amendments and question the WHO in Japan, where I am. And a letter from the Australian people communicates rejection of the WHO's proposed amendments to the IHR linking to standupnowaustralia.com.au, which has a um, an entire campaign that is garnered around getting public support behind this. Um, with regards to the New Zealand government um, announcing its intention to um, to do a national interest test to see if they will go along with the IHR amendments. I found that interesting. And of course, so how did the New Zealand uh, mainstream press cover this? Well, you have One Um Coalition's WHO policy leaves public health expert baffled. Why? Why on earth would they reject these wonderful amendments? But there was an interesting paragraph in there that I want to get your take on because I can't quite understand what they're saying. And as usual, it's mainstream news garbage, so they don't link to any sources. But they say the amendment, the IHR amendment from May of 2022, which, as you say, passed in that procedural vote that hopefully my viewers and hopefully your viewers have actually watched how that went forward. It was an absolute ridiculous joke with, I believe, the Japanese. subcommittee chair or whatever he was right. gaveling down right um any objections no okay it's passed and then he has to repeat it because everyone's fallen asleep it's passed right. yay yeah let's all cheer it's a ridiculous process anyway that happened in may of 2022 and as you say people uh, the countries had uh, until november 30th to reject it which is exactly what New Zealand did. And in this article, they're saying the amendment had been part of a larger suite of changes proposed by the United States in May last year, 2022, which was the subject of criticism for overreach in an international law blog. What blog? Are you going to link to it? No, of course not. But as the WHO's decisions show, only the change to timeframes was adopted. I I don't know what that's... Indicating, I don't know what that means. I don't know what WHO decision they are specifically talking about there. I don't know. Are they saying that there was only a time frame change that was adopted as part of the larger package of U.S.?
0: So yeah, so the United States had introduced twelve or thirteen amendments and then withdrew most of them. But what was left was this change in the timing, which was to to reduce the period of time during which a nation could reject future amendments. From 18 months to 10 months, and the United States had wanted it to be six months, so mm. it remained remain within the Biden administration. They couldn't get that agreed mm. to, so it became 10 okay. months, and then um, reduce the period of time before the amendments came into force from two years to one year. So that so those amendments uh, that uh, those amendments were the ones that this Japanese um Head of the committee being coached by an American secretary of state person or HHS person, um, you know, went through his little mumbo jumbo, you know, dog and pony show. Um, And clearly there was no vote. And yet there's supposed to be a vote and it's supposed to be the entire World Health Assembly. So if there was no vote, it's it is null and void. And and, uh, you know, the world, luckily it was caught on video. You know, there it is. We can see it. Right. And uh, and as you say, let's below. stress that.
1: So the point of that was so that they could change the time frame so that a, a if Biden doesn't win the 2024 selection, the next person can't undo what's been done, or at least so they say. But again, once again, the entire thing relies on countries voluntarily being part of the World Health Organization. And if That's you actually right. exited and defunded the WHO, all of this legal chicanery becomes null and void at a moment's notice, part of that Potemkin village I was talking about.
0: Precisely. So, um, so just to, to expand on this, um, other lawyers have jumped into the act. So, there's a lawyer from Spain who's brought a lot of cases um, about mandates, uh, you know, and, and won a case um, ending the mask mandate in Aragon, Spain. So, this is Luis Maria Pardo. And he has challenged the WHO with a four page letter saying, what you you know the the amendments we saw the amendments when they were first produced we we saw them in february when they had been harmonized in an initial way and then we haven't seen anything subsequent even though there have been many meetings of two different groups to work on them and and try to negotiate something that is palatable to to at least half the members but we've seen nothing about that so so the a swedish member of parliament has challenged her health minister to either make those negotiations transparent or resign Meanwhile, I thought each nation was negotiating this, but it turns out that the EU itself has cer- it has certain um, what it calls competencies. And when the EU has a competency, then it can do the negotiations or for its member nations, twenty-seven member nations. So one of the que- so it has been negotiating for mu- for multiple member states, but the EU is not a party to the WHO so does it have the legal authority to negotiate if it's not a party one question another question um have the nations it, does it does the EU actually have a sufficient competency in public health that's very questionable that's not one of its, its strong areas of competence so it it may not have the legal authority to do to negotiate for member nations around health issues just as in the United States, we've challenged uh, the government also. Wait a minute. According to the Constitution, health goes to the states. How can the federal government be negotiating health sovereignty away when they don't have authority to do so? It's That falls in the states. So it's a similar deal. Uh, Attorney Pardo also said, look, you, you need to tell us what amendments were proposed and which ones have been rejected, which is a really good question. Like, What have you been doing in the back room? What did you really want? What were you, what did you want, but you weren't able to get, you know, what's left, um, et cetera. And asking, you know, which nations have given you the authority to negotiate away their sovereignty? And how did that happen? So another very good question. And another issue is, does the WHO constitution actually allow it to take on a role of governance? it was set up as an advisory body now all of a sudden it wants to be a governing body did the nations give it that authority initially nobody is able to find that what what's the legal argument let me just mention a couple of uh things that i don't think we've discussed enough in the past so one of them is that the the treaty and the i want to i've got a new mem triple surveillance okay what these documents do is give um your your nation, or the obligation to perform triple surveillance on you. So one is surveillance of your social media. Anything you type on a computer, it's going to be um, surveilling and censoring. That's number one. Number two, it wants to stick a swab up your nose anytime it wishes, as well as your pets, wild animals, livestock, the environment. Okay. And thirdly, it is going to perform surveillance of your medical records and share them with the WHO. So that's also in these documents triple surveillance in the u.s that's unconstitutional we do have something called privacy we have a fourth amendment that says uh you you can't just go in and, and steal my information without due cause without a warrant you know without proving that you have a reason to 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 come in and uh surveil my information as well as my nose as well as my which is also a collection of your dna so i think they want your dna also there's the blank check issue.
1: I really want to get into this. This is important.
0: Yeah. So um, so questions are going to be asked tomorrow about three U.S. officials that are involved with these negotiations and with the WHO. And so a question I have suggested is to ask the negotiators, would you write, would you sign a blank check to an organization that has no accountability? And if not, why are you willing to sign a blank check for the United States to give to an unaccountable organization? <laughs> you know, I don't want you signing my money or my rights away. Um, so, Lois uh, Pace is a woman in HHS who has been the primary negotiator on this. She is the one who who put forward the May 2022 amendments. Then there's a guy called John Song or something like that, who is a Cameroonian US person who is a total globalist. He is on the board of CEPI. He has worked at the WHO, he's worked at the CDC, he's worked at CDC Africa. Um he's he's just got he's worked at uh, UNAIDS and um Anyway, he, do, he does what the globalists want in terms of public health. So that's him. And then the third person is an interesting um, person, Atul Gawanda. He's a physician, a an endocrine surgeon who worked at Harvard as a professor and wrote beautiful articles for The New Yorker about inter, very interesting and smart um, medical issues. And he's, he did that for years. And Somehow, he then he got into big business, so he was hired to do something for Google, and now he has his own company, and blah, blah. So he's sort of out of the surgical field, and he's now into public health and business, and of course, public-private partnerships are, are what the WHO and uh, all of this is about. So he is now working for USAID, and I wonder if he knows that it's a cutout for the CIA. He may or may not. But- he, he was a good guy, and now he's going to be answering questions for Congress, and he's really pretty new to this whole business.
1: Can I get to the blank check issue for a minute? Because I think this is extremely important, and I don't think... Enough people are aware of this or appreciate what's going on here. So let's let's draw that out in the uh, the most recent uh, text, whatever they call it, the proposal for negotiating agreement. text of the WHO pandemic agreement, the Halloween surprise they dropped on us at the end of October. Um, I want people at the very least, please, just read through it. It's thirty pages. You can get through it in a, in not too much time. But at the very least, look at Article Twenty-One because this is the blank check. And I'm glad you've brought up that term because that's probably the best way to understand this. It's conference of the parties, as in they are going to create a conference of the parties that will meet at some maybe annually or semi-annually or whatever they decide to continue to uh, essentially make new rules up on the spot as they deem fit. And whatever lack of say that we the average person has in the negotiation of these documents will have even less say over what is being decided at this conference of the parties and if conference of the parties sounds familiar I hope it does because of course everyone probably has heard of it in reference to the UNFCCC the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change which has its cop every year and we're on cop 28 is that is that what's going on right now in uh, Dubai um, at any rate it is essentially de facto a, a a an arm a chamber of world government that already exists and is already functioning. It's just you don't you never got the memo because they never wanted you to get that particular memo. But what this is is when you have one of these gigantic conventions that signed on to by multiple countries or most of the world um as in the case of the UNFCCC and potentially this WHO agreement you have this conference of the parties where every every year or where whatever they decide they get together to essentially make up new rules new uh binding obligations or what they deem to be binding obligations thereby creating essentially a form of of global government uh, that people don't recognize and I hope people understand and it's not just the UNFCCC it's not just the WHO that's trying to create this there are there are multiple cops um that exist right now for all sorts of different conventions and I've listed some of them in an article that I wrote called this is how global government is run and what's coming next where I try to raise the alarm about this conference of the parties and this blank check that it indicates because exactly as that as that image will hopefully foster in people's minds what you're doing with regards to if if your country signs on to this agreement as at least as we see it in this proposal uh, text you're it doesn't even matter to some extent what is said in the document what matters is what the conference of the parties decides next year or the next next year or the next next year it will happen on a regular cycle uh, that they will just continue adding and changing and amending and making new rules as they see fit and you will have no no possible a, a, a ability to hold anyone involved in this process accountable any more than you can hold someone in the UNFCCC process accountable. Who who from the United States is there representing you at the UNFCCC, and who get who gets to decide what they're they're negotiating with regards to that? Does anyone out there know? Probably not. Well, you'll know even less about the WHO when they get their COP in place, if that's what's going to happen this May. So, yet yet another reason why some sort of half measure or, oh, maybe we'll just put a reservation on this, is not going to go far enough. We really do have to exit completely the WHO and stop this stupid charade from going any further. But um, that's a good reason for people to start looking into this. Article 21 of the proposal text on Conference of the Parties, that's the blank check. And it doesn't matter what else is in that document. That's how they're going to continue rewriting that document in the future.
0: Right. And there's also a new secretariat at the who which will do the same thing um yes and all of these people are unaccountable there is no entity above the who bureaucracy there's just the 194 member states and they meet once a year you see so who can do something they're not going to have a meeting for another 11 months you know there is there is nothing they're really going to do to stop it and um you know as james said you don't even know who the negotiators are you don't know who's you don't these are i mean there's a few people at the who whose faces you see because they're pretty you know like this maria woman i think and kurkov and uh you know maybe one or mike ryan you'll see but you don't know who who the 10,000 other people are who are working there and making the and we have no idea who makes the decisions the other thing about the WHO is because 85% of its funding is not from dues, but from voluntary donations, and about 80% of that is earmarked, it means that almost everything the WHO does, so about 70% of, of actual uh, you know, programs that the WHO runs are run for these private entities. I mean, you can can look up the Bill and Melinda Gates, how much money do they give? They give over a billion dollars for this current biennium and about 95 or 98% is earmarked, right? The United States government is giving about a, over a billion dollars as a donation on top of its dues for this biennium. Almost all of it is earmarked. So um the WHO dances to the tune of its donors, not even to the World Health Assembly. And yet this sort of public-private entity wants to run the world as far as health goes. And of course, once you put one health into the mix, it wants to run everything.
1: Yes. And and let's underline this aspect of it. And uh, I know you've alluded to it in your sub stack. Let's put it on on the record here. Why does the WHO make false claims regarding proposals to seize state's sovereignty, which is up on the Brownstone Institute page, brownstone.org by David Bell, who we've talked to before and his uh, co-author. And they go through a- and break this down for people who have never thought about this. But uh, it's extremely important that we understand that this is truly essentially a global governmental body that is being being set up being erected here that presumes to have authority to dictate medical interventions on your body and this will be decided not even at the state level not even at the national government level at some international level that you will have absolutely no say in where they will be able to require medical examinations or proof of vaccination or other form of prophylaxis. Or as we know, they're, they're working on that hundred day vaccine moonshot that they're trying to, to, shove. I'd say, shove down people's throats, but really jab into people's arms, um, which will be completely throwing out any pretense of safety trials or efficacy or any of that. There's just no, not even any possibility for it, but they are going to start trying to, essentially, anytime they say that there's some sort of pandemic going on. They will be able to dictate whatever they want into your body. And they will even, uh, according to the language that they're using, be able to send members of the WHO into any country to act as coordinating authorities with regards to whatever is whatever they deem to be necessary in the right. wake without, of whatever without declared emergency.
0: Approval. Without approval exactly. of the nation yes. they're going into.
1: So um, literally overriding national sovereignty with regards to borders, with regards to medical interventions, with regards to surveillance, as you've pointed out. Um, and uh, as we say, uh yeah what is the what is the legal argument for how the who is becoming not just some sort of advisory body but some sort of governing body well it's in embedded in the language of agreements like this that everyone is going to voluntarily adopt and agree to which pr- puts the who as quote unquote coordinating authority with regards to pandemics which by the way they get to declare this state of health emergency based on what what is what are their rules and procedures for this anything they like. The the whim of the director general of the WHO, as we saw with the monkeypox nonsense last year, the WHO director general just decided, you know what? I have an advisory body for this, but I'm going to overrule them. I'm going to declare this is a public health emergency. So there's truly, absolutely no accountability, no rules. They make up the rules. They dictate this. And they are presuming to be able to breach your nation's sovereignty or your medical boards or whatever, however much trust you put in them well it doesn't even matter because they are going to presume to be able to override those decisions this is the game for all the marbles and i just i don't i can't I fathom how people don't see this yet
0: i think you know because the mass media has not presented them with any information so they don't see it but certainly when i went around i've given a lot of talks and and i briefed uh 12 or 13 congress members this past week and Everybody I talk to is very interested in this. Um, they just they they need to have it presented to them in a, in a way they can understand it because these legal documents are written in such a way as to make them very confusing. And, you know, it, it's hard to contextualize. And when they say pandemic pathogen, and you know they're talking about biological warfare agent, but it doesn't say that in the document, right? I mean, so what do I want to say? There's so much to say. The WHO has no expertise in doing any of these things that it says it wants to do. The the director general of the WHO, apart from having been, uh, you know, alleged to be a terrorist uh, with being the number two or number three person in the Tigrayan party and government, which has subsequently been overthrown in Ethiopia. But it's it's widely alleged that he covered up cholera epidemics, that he uh, he and his party did not ship food supplies to you know rival tr- tribes in uganda um and it was even alleged in the B- in by the bbc that he was trying to help get weapons sent to his tigrayan tribe as they were fighting with the other tribes in ethiopia a couple of years ago the current ethiopian government did not support him for to, to be reenlisted for another 5 years as a director general of ethiopia didn't matter you know uh, they issued a complaint. They didn't really pursue it. And he was reelected. The guy has a PhD in community health. I don't know what community health is. Um, setting up health centers. I mean, none of these documents really talk about healthcare. They talk about universal health coverage. They want everyone to pay for health insurance, but they don't tell you how anything about we're going to build new medical schools or nursing schools. We're going to increase the capacity Oh no! All we need, magically, to get everybody, you know, healthy, is for them to pay for health coverage, and they want it universal. So, you know, he is simply a tool. Um, yet he will have the authority to tell everybody in the world what drugs and vaccines they have to have when he declares a pandemic or the potential for a pandemic or decides that a pandemic may be over, but he's going to re- maintain the emergency, he's still going to be able to tell you what you can and can't do. Um, and as far as crossing borders, trade, all sorts of things, Well, like he can lock you in your house. Um, and, and it was questioned, why should he have the authority now? Why should the authority of the WHO extend to potential pandemics? potential public health emergencies of international concern and why should it extend beyond them why should the treaty be enforced 24/7 you know what do we need him for what do- the WHO that's that's the
1: question i keep coming back to really what do we need the who for with regards to any of this there is nothing truly absolutely nothing that the who can do that individual even if we say okay nations are in charge of their nation's medical po- and health policies they can still uh, uh negotiate those on a case-by-case basis at any time in any way they want right? Why Why? Why on earth would any nation on the planet sign up to give their sovereignty over to some gigantic body like this to be involved in some sort of international negotiation that will set global standards for everyone in the world? Why? What is the point of that other than exactly. to erode national sovereignty?
0: Yeah. There's There's nothing of use that is being offered to the population of any country By this agreement. It's, you know, the poor countries aren't getting anything. The rich countries aren't getting anything. Um, We're just giving it away. And, um, and this business about it's not a moonshot for the 100 day vaccine, because there's no liability. So whether they're able to come up with a 100 day vaccine or not, it's going to be jabbed into us regardless yep. whether it works well or it all, not. yeah it, essentially it, it already
1: is, was <laughs> it was just a 10month a, a right. vaccine or whatever exactly right.
0: well, yeah exactly and it's it's going to be the same again because there's a lot of money in vaccines because Bill Gates you know started Gavi and started CEPI and um the pharmaceutical manufacturers are donating a lot of money to the WHO so there will be 100 day vaccines um even though there is absolutely no reason to get them why would you take a vaccine that hasn't never been tested in humans? doesn't make any sense um you know and just to throw in something completely sort of completely different so we have these covid vaccines and the Pfizer ones it turns out have a an Sv40 two sv40 sequences in them that enable the RNA in the vaccine to be moved into the nucleus where it can cause mutations that seems to be the only purpose for these two. SV40 sequences. Now, Operation Warp Speed uh was an operation in which the federal government gave these um specifications to Pfizer and to the other manufacturers and told them what to do. Now, did the did the military, did the DOD that was running Warp Speed come up with the SV40 plan? Or was that Pfizer's plan? How did the SV forty get in there? who decided it would be a good idea to mutate everybody and see what would happen. So uh, now that the SV40 so far has not been found in the Moderna vials that have been looked at. And I don't know if anyone's looked at the Novifax, the J&J or the AstraZeneca, but um, it has been found by at least three different scientists in three different locations in fi- in many Pfizer vials. Um, you know, when this kind of criminality is going on in front of us, by our nations, you know, moving things to the WHO means it's even harder to get accountability to to get justice later if such things happen again, which they're likely to. Yeah,
1: I I, I hesitate almost to bring this to the national sovereignty discussion because again, I think that misses the point. Because again, the fundamental basis of human in individual freedom, our in, our rights as human beings, individual sovereign human beings, is. absolutely boils down to our bodily autonomy and our decision that we get to make whether we want to perform this medical intervention or not. That is the absolute bedrock baseline of individual human freedom. And that is eroded every time we concede to whatever regional or national health authority claims to have ownership of our bodies and what we can or cannot do with them, but even more so at the international level. So I get, yes, okay, national governments are going to be the the bulwark against this international system, but uh, I don't want to make it seem like I'm propping up this national s- system as as uh, anything yeah. other than a sort of one step towards that international system once you've given your health and bodily autonomy off, off to some national board or medical council or what have you then you've given it off off to them to do to give to give away to the international body so that's that's not quite the right way of looking at it but at any rate it is it is important for us to start dismantling this system and I really do want people to reflect on the fact that it really is happening there people really are rising up more and more people as they learn about these issues obviously not from the controlled corporate establishment mainstream media funded with grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation but from the independent media as they start to understand more about this process they are standing up to it and it is happening new zealand did file the reservations about the ihr amendments etc etc so it is happening but we it's not enough yet we need to start the international push towards defunding and exiting the who altogether that is where this has to to go as the next step in all of this and i i'm very excited and interested to hear about what's happening in the us i know there has been congressional movement towards that I know we're looking at uh, actual congressional hearings, et cetera. So I, I just want to see where that's going to go.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, as we mentioned last month, the House of Representatives actually defunded the WHO for next year. So so there was foreign operations bill. It was shepherded in by um, Diaz Ballart, who is a Cuban-American. I just found out from somebody this weekend that uh, – uh, his uncle was Fidel, actually. <laughs> his father was, as a child, uh, Fidel's best friend. And uh, Fidel had married his aunt uh, briefly as a very young man. Um, Fidel had had many uh, partners in his life. Uh, so Diaz-Balart um, got this through First, the committee and then the entire House, which, you know, has a, a slim Republican majority, voted to completely defund the WHO. Um, the bill, all these funding bills are still sitting around waiting for the Senate to look at them. Um, it's, it's expected that they, they will come forward in January And at that time, it's going to be very important for people to pound on their senators about this. There is, as you know, a slim Dem majority in the Senate. um, And unless people really get active, um, that defunding isn't going to take place. But it could. It really could. Um, We'll see what happens at at the House hearing tomorrow where... Uh, we, the Sovereignty Coalition, which is a group of organizations, including Children's Health Defense and Door to Freedom, my new organization that was founded six months ago to sort of push this whole thing forward and expand expand uh, our reach. Um, so we're part of it. Uh, Women's Rights Without Frontiers, the Eagle Forum, you know, many other organizations stand for health freedom are part of it. And now we at Door to Freedom are expanding out and linking up with attorneys and activists and even parliamentarians around the world and trying to spread the information. And so far, you know, we've been, I think, very, very successful for such a, a young organization. And um, we're, we're making the connections. And, uh, you know, this, I mean, this story is really just so horrendous. All it needs is a few sparks in the right place, and then the fire will come. So I'm I'm very happy about where we are right now. I think uh, that, I mean, Italy was the most amazing in the sense that we even got into the mainstream media, Philippe and I, we, we got into lots of alternative media and we had senators going to the media saying, we will not allow the WHO to become a dictator, blah, blah. Um, the message got to the prime minister, and so uh, we look forward to hearing more from Italy. But I think each of these sparks, you know, what happens in the Congress affects the Europeans, affects the Australians and New Zealanders. And uh, and as you said, even the Japanese are paying attention. Um, I think that, you know, people don't realize because we're so conditioned that we just had to get all these vaccines to go to school. They don't realize that that was a major Uh, giving up of our bodily autonomy and sovereignty that, by law, we're supposed to have. It just sort of happened. We have laws on the books in the U.S. that are contradictory. We have some laws that say, yes, you have to have informed consent for everything, including vaccines, and then we have other laws that say, no, you can't go to school without a vaccine. I personally think that this debacle, you know, the, the anthrax vaccine debacle only unfortunately affected the soldiers, and now that was 25 years ago. Everyone's forgotten about it. This debacle affected, you know, 250 million people in the United States and, uh, you know, probably five or six million around billion around the world. I don't think people will forget. I do think the vaccine mandates will go away when the dust settles. I mean, unfortunately, there's still a lot of people who only read and watch the mainstream media so they don't get it yet. But the lies keep piling up, as do the bodies. You know, and when when polls say that 24 percent of Americans think they know of someone who died as a result of the vaccination, you know, the the story has to crumble. This house of cards will crumble. It's just a question of whether it's going to be six months, a year or two years. Um, You know, too many people are dying prematurely. And many of them are, you know, actors, singers. Sports stars, you know, it can't be covered up. There's going to be one day. And the 100-monkey phenomenon will occur. And suddenly everyone will say, oh, yeah, I knew that vaccine was no good. And they won't realize they ever even thought something else. And that'll be the end of vaccine mandates for a while. And then we have to realize there are other mandates, too. You know, there's vitamin K when you're born. There's there's different sorts of, uh, you know, tuberculosis tests, chest x-rays. And do, do we really... Who can we trust at this point when all our federal agencies and our state agencies have been lying to us grossly, you know, obviously for these last uh, four years now, um, do we want to trust them about anything?
1: You, you know, I was recently covering um, with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, we do a, a new show every week called New World Next Week. We were recently covering the issue that has been ongoing in, uh, for decades now in the United States, and I know it differs from state to state, of the blood tests that they take of newborns when they are born. Obviously, the heel prick uh, blood test, which, right. uh, depending on the state and depending DNA on the test. particular rules... Yes, they, they, they can use, they, in some states, companies are actually given ownership of those blood tests, which they can then use and sell as information. Medical information, um, with yes. or w- without your consent, without your knowledge, even, um, it has been challenged in courts. There are various, as I say, it differs state by state, and uh, but that's happening throughout the Western world. Australia, other places have similar um, things functioning. It's it's absolutely crazy, and the question: yes, who can you trust? I, I, I think really the bottom line should be. again as has supposedly been the law of the land and the international norm and the standard and the nuremberg code and all of this informed consent but of course that is exactly what they are trying to erode through treaties like this and the declaration of emergency which is the the blanket that they get to throw over everything to just color of law we can do whatever we want now because there's an emergency who says we say and anyone who says anything against what we say can now be censored and scrubbed off of social media and basically censored out of the public square. Um, it's a perfect system of control if you can get it and if you're a dictator. Um, but again, I think people are starting to wake up to this. With regards to what you raised earlier, with regards to the EU's competence in being a an instrument to this negotiation, how do they get the legal justification for this? I will note that in that proposal text uh, for the negotiating uh, agreement um, in Article 22, they do say, they do specifically give regional groupings, presumably like the EU, um, standing to have a vote um, with regards to the conference of the parties and the, the new secretariat they're setting up. Um, so that is specifically included in there. But who gets to negotiate that document? Does the EU, EU have legal competence to negotiate that? Do they have legal standing? In what way? What document? Can you show us the document? No, you can't? Huh. Strange how that works.
0: Yeah. Exactly, they, you know. I think it's the treaty that <clears throat> says, "Well, um, economic uh, integration organizations can join too if they want," which, which yeah. is a you know a cutout for the EU. Yeah. Um. It's, but they don't say the EU, so they said, "Well, the EU can join the treaty," and then I guess that will then give it a a competence to do negotiations. So some lawyer realized that there was a little problem there and tried to slip them in, but. Um, now our lawyers as i said are, are looking at this um a little more carefully and saying aha and and people from different countries are really seeing it differently so uh, you know i invite people to see the letter from uh luis pardo that i posted on my substack this evening so going forward we will have a lot more information because i will be fo- i will be focusing on the legal issues and um we, we will get some consultants looking into this very closely uh, around the world. So I, I've already um, engaged an expert on European law to uh, help us with these evaluations, somebody I, I met when I was in Europe. So um, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very positive about all this. I think you're right. You called it a Potemkin village. I would say that it is plan A for the for the world takeover this was the easiest way to do it fool everybody boy they were so fooled during the pandemic this whole planet is filled with idiots we can get away with this let's just you know bulldoze forward and now maybe people are waking up and saying no that that whole pandemic was a lot of baloney and what's this and what else are you doing then you know there's probably going to be a plan b of the u.n because UN is also trying to um, gain authority, which we talked about once before, um, with its uh, common agenda. <laughs> um, that's going to come up. Uh, let me see. In September, the next September, the UN will try to gain also these great powers over the world during emergencies. Meantime, you know, we need to work with Congress and individual nations to basically take a knitting needle and start going through all of our laws and removing all of these different emergency rules that came into play and said ignore everything that exists in the law now we have an emergency and we can do whatever we want we're making governors dictators and we're doing we're making uh unlicensed drugs into uh, liability free products that we can mandate on you etc all of that, those things and this whole one health approach have been built into US law and the law of other nations and they have to all these bits and pieces of of legal efforts need to be discovered and uprooted this is basically what the nazis did in the 1930s germany they changed the legal system so that everything they did later on would be legal and we're living through that now And uh, we don't want to get to 1940 Germany. We're in 1934. Now it's time to get rid of it.
1: Amen to that. Absolutely. Um, Nail on the head there. And I want people at home to appreciate just how much you are giving to this fight personally. I know you've been jetting all over the place, traveling around, lobbying members of parliament here and meeting with lawyers there and doing all of this work. And I did manage to catch that recent main. Board of Licensure in Medicine, two-minute gaveling down of their decision against you, presumably. Um, but do you even know what happened there yet? What Can you fill people in about that?
0: Yeah, actually, at six o'clock, so an hour, 60 minutes before we started, I got an, a, a long um, order from the Board of Medicine, which basically said, your license is suspended for three years, um, but if you have a practice monitor. If you go to all these classes, if you send us charts and kiss our butt, you know, uh, on a monthly basis, then, uh, you know, maybe we'll let you practice medicine again. And you know, it's like, Hey guys, hello. (laughs) Hello. I think I have a new career now. Thank you for helping me move into it. I think it's a, you know, it's valuable and, um, I don't plan to kiss your little behinds and, Um, I plan to spend the rest of my life exposing you and the bureaucrats you wrote in on. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't look like I'm going to be practicing medicine anytime soon, probably never again. But um, that has given me the, you know, unfortunately, it's almost two years now that my license has been suspended. It's, uh, It's 23 months. So all my patients have had to find other doctors, you know, quite a while ago. So I you know, it's unfortunate, but that's how it is. Um, and I'm going to be spending all of my time trying to prevent a global government. And uh, that's the most important thing I can do. You know, we all have, you know, I'm old, I have children, I have grandchildren, I care about your children and grandchildren. This is the most important thing anyone can do right now. And uh, there, there's a lot to get done. But we're moving along. Well, I think. Thank you. And James, you know, these meetings we've had for over a year now have really helped to sort of solidify my thoughts, um, clarify what the issues are. And, um, we, uh, we are the most popular show on CHD TV. So we're getting the word out to a large number of people. And, um, I don't think they are going to turn over sovereignty over their own bodies and their families and their and give away their futures. So I think we this is it. My salute
1: to all of the people out there who are getting the word out about this issue, because as you say, I think this is the bottom line issue. And once they can breach this this line of literally what they can put into your body, what they can mandate you to do with your body, whether they can lock you in your home at a moment's notice. This is the battle for freedom in a nutshell. So people out there who get it and are uh, telling others about it, I salute those efforts. Meryl, I salute the efforts of yourself. And let's plug Door to Freedom again for people who don't know in my audience, maybe who have never heard about Door to Freedom, just tell them what it is, how they can uh, uh, access the world. Oh,
0: thank you. So, um, Georgia Freedom is the organization I founded, and my I had two goals. One was put all the WHO and UN documents in one place so people can actually read them, because almost nobody has. And they were very hard to find. So, they're all you, from our homepage. You can link to all of the documents, every version and draft of the treaty, et cetera. Um, then we've created the, our our co- our coalition of, of members of the founding members of dot freedom.org have created many about 30 very short articles from 500 words to 1000 words two minute reads in 2 minutes you can find out about the who the world economic forum the young global leaders the treaty the amendments you know all all sorts everything almost everything that has to do do with the Great Reset, which this is all part of the Great Reset. This is the legal underpinnings of the Great Reset. So we have the two-minute reads, and then we have videos. We have all the shows that you and I have done that you can watch that are linked. We have many other videos. We have long articles. Um, We have PowerPoints, and we now have a bunch of handouts about six or eight Handouts that explain again what the WHO is doing in different ways, um, explain the how to prevent pandemics and what the WHO is doing to actually increase pandemics. Um, and the Children's Health Defense Europe translating team, uh, volunteers have translated these handouts into about 10 languages. And Brooke uh, has made them beautiful, you know, has done desktop publishing so that people in many countries can print these things out right from the website, hand them out, and let people find out what is really going on. Um, So, And you can contact us if you want, and you can give us money because we just got our 501c3 a couple of weeks ago. And so now we are soliciting donations. We have three part-time employees. We would like to make uh, some of them full-time. We'd like to have a bigger team. We'd like to be able to uh, hire uh, more lawyers. I have a couple of very, very part time lawyers um, on the staff. We need to do more. Uh, my Substack has paid for most of it so far. Um, fortunately, I'm uh, earning about $90,000 a year on my Substack. So that has really gone a long way. To help pay for all this, uh, but if you think what we're doing is useful, then uh, consider, you know, sharing some money with us. And but that's not why we're doing it. If you have an expertise and you want to help with your expertise, we want that too. We're joining coalitions. We're we're creating webinars. I mean, we're we're do, we're contacting Congress. Um, as I said, I briefed 12 or 13 members of Congress who had their mouths open. They were shocked at what I was telling them last week about this. And they said, we're going to do something. So time's here. Let's move. Yeah.
1: I, and for those who didn't get it, just freedomorg So go there for all of that information. And um, yeah, hats off to you and all of the people who are out there working on this issue. As I say, I'm going to be concentrating on this next year is going to be an important issue as we head into the new year. On that note, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) Hope you have a great holiday season. I guess I'll be talking to you in 2024 next.
0: Yeah. Have a great one. Enjoy Western Japan and the occasional sun.
1: (laughs) I will do.